You're listening to Thresholds Radio on UFO-info.com. TheEdgeOnAir.com wants to invite you to be abducted. Tune in Friday night starting at 10 p.m. for Thresholds Radio. Host John Stevenson is your guide through the realm of the paranormal with an hour-long radio show sure to give you the heebie-jeebies. Check out UFO-Info.com to learn more. It's Thresholds Radio every Friday night at 10 p.m. on TheEdgeOnAir.com. Welcome back. With us now is Jeff Ballinger, author, speaker, paranormal investigator. Jeff is said to be one of the most visible paranormal researchers today. Author of over a dozen books, Jeff has also appeared on hundreds of radio and TV shows talking about the supernatural, and he's the founder of GhostVillage.com, the web's most popular paranormal destination. I'd like to welcome you to the show today, Jeff, and how are you doing? I'm doing great, guys. How are you? Oh, very good. Glad you could have you on. Hey, we're yeah. great. Thanks for being on. No, my pleasure. It's, uh, it's nice to be anywhere. Hey, my first and number one question for you is, Jeff, what got you involved in the paranormal? Yeah, that's um, that's that's a that's something that I get asked a lot. It's <laughs> it's I I grew up I grew up around it. I grew up in an old New England town, and I had friends from a young age who were just very interested uh, in the subject because their house was haunted. Mine was not, but theirs was. So um, we would have sleepovers and break out the Ouija board and try to make contact with whatever might be there and what really got me gripped was that these weren't like Hollywood ghost stories where blood was dripping out of the walls or anything like that it was just matter of fact yes someone else lives here with us and we can't see him all the time but there he is and I was just intrigued and then uh, growing up I, I also lived in the town next to Ed and Lorraine Warren so I knew them since I was 10 years old and uh, certainly they had an influence and I went to school to be a writer a journalist and I got hooked I'm sure much like uh, Michael, you know, you, you get hooked on researching the history and finding out sometimes it backs up some of these these many ghostly legends. Yes, definitely. That's actually cool. That's exactly how I started, too, pretty much, except for Lorraine Warren. She wasn't my neighbor, but otherwise it's almost <laughs> identical. <laughs> well, I found there's two types of people in the paranormal, ones that have been interested their entire lives and ones that got interested after they watched Ghost Adventures yeah. or Ghost Hunters. <laughs> right, yeah. No, that's true. And, and um, but, but, you know, there's something about this subject that speaks to all of us on a very primal level. I mean, we're, we're talking about the big question here, you know, is there life after death? That's really what we're pursuing. Uh, and and it's, a, it's an individual question, you know. I mean, I'm, I'm finding my answers, but I know those answers don't apply to everybody. And, and I think that's part of the draw for this subject, whether you're, you know, eight or nine years old or whether you're 30 or 40 years old and just getting into it now. Yeah, there's a lot. It's, I mean, it's fascinating. It's a huge subject right now. I mean, I've been interested like you my whole life, but now it's like mainstream. Everybody seems to be interested in it. Well, that's cool because it, it, it takes the subject out of the closet and you're allowed to discuss it a lot more openly. And that's the that's the really great thing about how popular it is, is that, um, you know, even 10 years ago, if you're standing by the office water cooler going, man, I think my house is haunted and I'm going to have some people come <laughs> yeah. out, you're worried about getting fired. And, exactly. Uh, and today, your boss may invite himself over and ask if his ghost hunting group can come check it out. Exactly. I've actually talked about, I've overheard people talking, and I've mentioned that, you know, I'm involved in this. And instead of being shunned like you used to be, now you're like, you know, wow, really? And they all, everybody wants to talk to you. I'm like, wow, has that changed throughout the years? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's cool, though. Hey, you know, you said no. you used to play with the Ouija board. I used to, do too, and I've had bad experiences with that. What's your view on those things? Yeah, uh, I think there's nothing inherently evil about cardboard and plastic. Uh-huh. And, 
And, and I think there's no difference whatsoever between a Ouija board, doing EVP, doing dowsing rods, doing pendulums, um, seances of any kind. You are invoking a spirit. You're saying wherever you are, whatever you are, come to where I am and let's try to communicate. Right. The difference is the Ouija board has a stigma to it. And it has a stigma thanks to a couple of people. One is um, William Peter Blatty, who wrote a wonderful book called The Exorcist, which was made into a, a right. great, great horror movie. And one of those other people are the Warrens, who for years would um, ask people, I I've stood in her house, I've heard the phone ring, and, and she starts talking, and one ha the half of the conversation I could hear goes, oh yeah, oh yeah, hon, oh that sounds bad. Yeah, <laughs> listen, tell me, is there a Ouija board in the house, hon? Yeah. Oh, you gotta get rid of it. <laughs> okay. It, it, and, and now the, the adult in me kind of laughs. It's Did you know in 1967, the Ouija board outsold Monopoly? I did it. <laughs> no, I didn't know that. So uh, so that means that if, um, you know, if, if you if you take into account that, oh, sorry, man, got a phone ringing here. We'll just ignore it. That's okay. <laughs> um, but if you take into account it, how many people have a Monopoly board in their house, if you said, oh, geez, it's haunted. Is there a Monopoly in the house? All oh, right. my God. There is a Monopoly board in my house. <laughs> Right. Oh, are you psychic? Well, there's there's millions of these things in circulation, and and so that's um you know that's something we have to we have to figure that it's it's omnipresent because it is so popular. I just don't believe that there's demons waiting in line and and uh, you know right right down the aisle there at Toys R Us saying, "Come on, yeah. don't stratego, don't well, pick up the game, get the Ouija board." <laughs> well, I've yeah. I've had I've heard numerous stories, but it's a first-hand thing. I I grew up in a psychic family, and my mother used to play with the Ouija board. And it got to a point where she had bad things happening. She found out the people she was talking to who wasn't who she thought they were, and it was a terrible experience. And my mom's sure. like, "Stay away from those things, no matter what." And I wasn't allowed to have one. And being a normal 16-year-old kid, what do you do when your mom says you can't have one? Well, you go out and get one. I came sure. home. Had one in my trunk wrapped up so she couldn't see it. I was going to bring it in the house later. I go to the door and my mom's like, you got another one. I told you not to. I'm like, what? She goes, as soon as you pulled in the driveway, the voices were back in my head saying, we can talk again now. So, <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, it's, um, it's interesting. And I get to, you know, I also accept the possibility that you're using this board and not communicating with spirits at all. You're communicating with your subconscious. You're communicating with your... Your, your lower self, your higher self, whatever that may be. I accept all those as possibilities. Right. Um, but I also believe, you know, you're opening a doorway, whether you're using that or EVP or talking to a K2 meter or, or anything else. You truly don't know what's over there. Uh, and if you feel that that's dangerous, then you should probably stay away from all of it. Right. Um, and and it's it's interesting that the Ouija board gets the stigma that it does. But it's that's that's a lot of factors. You know, it's it's yeah. it's it's um. It's freakish, but um, it, not that I really use them as part of my regular investigations, but when I do events, I do bring one along, an old 1960s board from Salem, Massachusetts, and um, I, I bring that along because it tends to freak people out, and that's interesting to me. Oh, that's cool. We started off here a little bit on the heavy side. <laughs> oh, sorry. You got anything well, here to ask now, Mike? Yeah, as I understand it, you recently got back from an event at Slater Mill. Is that a, a haunted place? Yeah, Slater Mill is really interesting. It's the birthplace of the American Industrial Revolution. Um, it was built in the 1790s by Samuel Slater. I'm right assuming on, that's somewhere in New England. Yeah, sorry, uh, Pawtucket, Rhode Island. And um, it's built right on the Pawtucket River. Uh, and and just, just an amazing story. It's a lot of child labor. A lot of children were killed there. Uh, this is back when kids were seen as completely expendable. 
and these water-powered machines were, were pulling cotton into thread and string and fabric and things like that. And there's actually three buildings. There's the Slater Mill, the Wilkinson Mill, and the Sylvanus Brown House, just great old historic New England haunts. And um, all three of them seem to be active. So, uh, it, I, you know, I love that. I love when you're, you're literally touching history, you know, exploring these things with, um, you know, with different types of people. And it's always interesting to me where you're, you're in a, you might be in a group of 15, 20 people and one person has this profound experience and you're standing right next to him and you don't. And, and that's when you start to realize, I don't think we can ever prove the paranormal to everybody because it's such an individualized thing. I've stood next to people. I'm not calling them liars. They were shaken up visibly by something, mm -hmm. but I didn't see it, feel it, experience it, or any other way. And there's been times where I've felt weird stuff and others haven't. So exactly. it's kind of this, uh, this individualized thing. Well, I found that a lot of ghost stories, especially in these historic places, have a lot to, to tell us about history and a lot to... Uh, to, as a reminder of what what took place in the past there, even though people might have forgotten about it, they still have the ghost stories to tell. Absolutely. And I've, I've you know, I've said this before, but, you know, ghosts in one sense are simply history demanding to be remembered. And you take a place like Gettysburg, where you've got tens of thousands dead, wounded or missing in the span of three days in July of 1863. And it's haunted because it should be haunted. It, it's it's haunted and President Abraham Lincoln noted that it was haunted in the in the Gettysburg Address. He said flat out, we cannot hollow this ground. These brave men who, who died here did that far beyond our, our ability to add or detract. And it's true. It's haunted and haunting when you go there. We need to remember what took place. We need to be reminded that our country can get torn apart. Uh, and that's just one of the many, you know, many masters that ghosts can serve. Yeah, so you've written about haunted places all over the United States, and I'm sure you get asked this question all the time, but what do you think is the most haunted place in the United States? The bathroom at this New Jersey rest area. <laughs> yeah. Insanely evil. Uh, no, I am. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's, impo it's an impossible question to answer, of course. Plus uh, it changes, too. Yeah, right. I mean, I've got my favorite haunts, and those tend to be places where I've had personal experiences. They're few. Well, what, what are some of those? Yeah, one would be uh, Waverly Hills Sanatorium in Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah, I've been there, too. That's an intense place. I don't care what people say about it. It's pretty freaky. Yeah, totally. I mean, you, you walk in there, and I'm, I'm not psychic sensitive or otherwise in any way, shape, or form. And I walked into that building the first time. I just went, oh, my God, this place is haunted. You know, you just... You just exactly. There. Yeah, and... Uh, Walking around, I had an experience there, and uh, my first experience actually happened in Paris, France, when I saw a shadow figure, but I was completely alone. And so even my, my skeptical, logical mind today can say, well, were you overtired? Were you this? Were you that? I don't think I was, but at Waverly Hills, I was standing with three other people. We all saw the same thing. We all reacted the same way. A man stepped out of a room 15 feet in front of us, three doors down on the left, looked at us and stepped back in. And we all raced to the room. We said, okay, wait a minute. We know we're alone up here, but maybe someone slipped by somehow. And I accept that as a possibility. But what I do not accept as a possibility is that if someone did slip by the first time, that they could have got out uh, once we saw them. Because we closed on that location, looking every which way in three seconds. And um, mm -hmm. no one could have got back out if they did get in. And you go, you look at each other and you say, all right, we all saw it. We all reacted. We all described the same thing. Um, amazing, and, and and that's those are the experiences that I admit I continue to chase. They're they're incredible. They're they're life altering, and uh, 
it's why I keep doing this. I want to have that experience again. Exactly. It gives you just a complete rush. It's like when people skydive and that kind of stuff. It's the same kind of effect. Absolutely. Totally right. I, I wanted to ask you, what did you think about Ashmore Estates? I know you had to do a little bit of research for that, for the Ghost Adventure show, correct? Yeah, right. Yeah, no, it's... um. Yeah, and if I recall correctly, Mr. Michael Clean was on that show, wasn't he? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's why Mike brought that up. He likes to yeah. hear about himself. <laughs> yeah, I like to relate it back, you know. <laughs> Enough about you. Let's talk about me. <laughs> I get it. No, that's cool. Yeah, no, Ashmore Estates is, you know, the old poor farm out there. And poor farms are interesting stories. They're, they're very similar. I've, I've researched a few poor farms, uh, Rolling Hills in upstate New York and... Um, Oh, God, the one there in western Pennsylvania, it's escaping me. Hillview Manor um, is another one where you, you had this, this time period where, um, you know, state laws came down and said you must care for your poor. And the idea was that these poor farms would be self-sufficient. They would grow their own food, sew their own clothes, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and, and you know, no one would have to, um, you know, no, no one would have to, outside would have to lose any money or, or time or effort working on them. And of course, they became a place for the mentally ill, um, people who might have been borderline criminals, the unwanted, just really sad, tragic stories. And, and it tugs at your heartstrings to think about these kinds of places. So, I, you know, Ashmore, really interesting, really tragic. What do you think, Michael? I mean, you've been there a lot more than, than any of us, and you've done more research into it. I mean, what are your thoughts? Well, I think that it's it's a really great place, and you're right, it has a lot of that, that tragic history. Uh, I think that people have gotten a little bit carried away. I'm, I'm not going to say it's not haunted, right? but I think people have gotten a little bit carried away with how haunted it is. <laughs> I mean, there are people out there who tell you it's the most haunted building in the entire state of Illinois. You know? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I've I've been there dozens of times alone and with other people and I, I you know I've never experienced anything in there, yeah. but that doesn't mean that no one else has either. Well, some people just actually don't experience things. Though I'm sure Jeff yeah, can I, tell I you that too. Some people, anything. no matter what, have no effect or no feelings towards any of this. Hey, and, and that's you know here's the thing though it's not fair and that's why you said like what's the most haunted place in the United States? It's not fair to judge. I've been to the Stanley Hotel six or seven times in Estes Park, uh, Estes Park Colorado now. And I've never had a personal experience there, but I've watched people get freaked out and, and, oh my gosh, it's the most haunted place on earth, even though I've never had an experience. It's not fair for me to judge that just because I missed, you know, just because I was in, not in the right place at the right time. Um, and, in, and someone else may have gone to Waverly Hills the night that I had, you know, really two experiences, one really big, the one I just told you about, and, and said, no, no, this place isn't haunted at all. I've experienced nothing here. That's why... It's such an individualized thing. Now, I also get that some of these places really, um, you know, pay their mortgage, rent, etc., uh, with their ghosts. And oh, exactly. Waverly Hills does. Of course, of course, you know, and and so so um, you know, no one wants to go to the most moderately haunted building in the county. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so uh, you know, people tend to say this is the most haunted place on earth. And uh, that's there's lots of places that say that. Yeah, quite a few. They can't all be the most haunted. I mean, you can yeah, that's, the, that's right. <laughs> you can have second, third, and runner up, but not all the most. Yeah, and who decides anyway? You know, I mean, shoot. yeah, there's really no scale of haunting from th- you know one end to the other. I think Michael Clean decides all this. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, your opinion's as good as anyone else. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, but you you go somewhere and and you know your 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 head spins around and you get thrown against the wall. You're gonna say this is the most haunted place <laughs> on earth, even though I may go there tomorrow and see nothing at all but butterflies. You know. Exactly. Well, I'll tell you when you get out here to Chicago again, Jeff. Like we were talking off air, I'll I'll take you to Bachelor's Grove. You said you've never been there. That's one you got to oh. experience. Yeah, I would love to. That's another place where I've been at least a dozen times and nothing has ever happened to me. Did you ever think maybe you're a repellent, Michael? <laughs> I think I am. I, I really, you know, some people think they're sensitive. I'm I'm the you're, opposite. You're anti-sensitive. Yeah. You're insensitive. Yeah. Yeah, hasn't well, your girlfriend said that before, Mike? Oh. <laughs> well, Jeff, uh, you have written and researched for Ghost Adventures, but you were also involved with the TV show Paranormal Challenge. Yeah. Right. Uh, tell us a little bit about the premise of that show for those of our audience who haven't seen it. And, uh, you know, what do you like about the program? Yeah, that was a that was a um, uh, Zach. Zach Bagans from uh, Ghost Adventures um, developed that. This was a show that uh, was filmed and ran last year. And uh, it was it, it was one season, but it was the idea was to take uh, two different teams and bring them to some of the you know renowned haunts that Ghost Adventures had been to before, um, and and put them in there and see what they experience and and kind of have them compete against each other. Um, I know it was a bit controversial, you know, because teams are thinking, well, we shouldn't be competing against each other, and I get that, but I also get TV and you know, um, much like a cooking show, this was the um, this was kind of how we've explained it to people. You know, you watch some of these cooking shows. Both chefs make a really great meal, but at the end of the day, you gotta you gotta dub one the winner, and so that's um, that's kind of yeah. how how it went. If I, if I wanted to watch a show where people were cooperating, I'd watch PBS. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's totally right. Yeah, it it, so it was it was really interesting to see so many different teams. You know, some teams who obviously were thrilled at the shot at being on television. That was pretty obvious. Yes. And, and and you know what? And and others that were so serious that they weren't as entertaining to watch. However, they were a lot more thorough um, in their investigation. And it was it's intriguing because that really is a true cross section of the paranormal. There are people that start groups because they figure like, well, we'll start a group and we'll have our own reality show in a year or two. I'm sure. Yep. Yeah, they all get matching T-shirts. That's kind yeah. of a running joke in here. We talk about someone starts a group, you get matching shirts and hats, and wow, you're a famous group all of a sudden. <laughs> No, and, and you know what's funny? I um, I used to get frustrated by that too, but I really don't anymore. I, I actually think it's all kind of cool. Um, you know, that if people want to get into this to start start some kind of social club, why not? Who am I to judge? Some people join bowling leagues, you know, and and for the same reason. So what? I mean, if you're having fun and doing something with it, wear the matching shirts. Right. I mean, it's I, I actually have well, no problem. Yeah, with we're it. not saying there's anything wrong with it. I just say it's kind of yeah, funny. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, it's the first thing well, they do. Instead of going out and getting all their equipment, you know, they get T-shirts. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. And, you know, I used to I used to laugh about that, too. But then I thought, um, you know, when, when there there actually is a pretty good argument for the matching T-shirts, if you think about it. If you're, if you're taking photographs and you get an anomalous photo where you say, oh, my gosh, there's someone in a white dress. Well, you know, your team always wears the same black T-shirt to an investigation. So exactly. It's, it's no one in your team, you know, wearing the white dress. So anyway, I get it. But um, but no, people come to this for so many reasons. And it's not fair for me to judge those those reasons. You know, someone wants to really turn this into science and do, you know, controlled experiments. That's awesome. Someone else wants to just go legend tripping and 
you know, traipse through Black Bachelors Grove Cemetery and see if they experience something and have a story to tell. That's cool too, you know. And there's all of us in between. Well, it's true. I mean, all it is is it's a hobby. It's you just do it to entertain yourself, basically, whether you're extremely serious or not. Totally. It's like when you watch me play golf, you know. I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, first of all, it ain't happening unless there's a six pack in me. And 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 if you're a serious golfer, you're gonna loathe golfing with me because I'm gonna drive the cart over your ball and I'm gonna <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm going to quote Caddyshack pretty much the entire time, you know, it's, it's good, which is just infuriating for someone who's really trying to break the club record or whatever. But I'm like, I'm not that good, nor do I want to be, you know? I'm guilty of that, too. I don't play golf. I don't attempt to play golf. <laughs> yeah, right. Too expensive. I can't afford it. Exactly. Uh, I was going to ask you something a little bit back towards the paranormal side again, Jeff. What's your uh, view on orbs? I, I try to touch on this with everybody that knows stuff. Every orb that you've ever seen is a demon from hell. <laughs> Can I quote that? I think I'll use yes. that for, we'll use that on the show like all the time yeah. for a sound bit. <laughs> Your show's logo, I can actually see like one, two, three, four, five, six demons from hell right in your show logo right now. Well, they actually are there. You're very receptive. Yeah. yeah. No, those are demons easily. I can tell because they're round. What Those are called producers. Oh, all right. No, so, um, no, I, I think um, it's, it's so interesting that orbs are getting in vogue to talk about again they went away for a while i thought we were done with them but um they came back I, when they first started when i first started doing this um in in the uh you know mid to late 1990s orbs were everywhere and this yeah, was always a big time, deal yeah no they were everywhere and this was a time when 1.3 megapixel digital cameras were coming out and that, those were the good ones you know exactly um, yeah and, and and orbs are showing up in almost every photo and and you know, the Walmart was haunted. The McDonald's <laughs> party was haunted. Um, really, so I got intrigued by this, and I and I did as much research as I could. I learned that in the 1980s, uh, orbs and photos were considered by ufologists to be extraterrestrial energy. Exactly. Um, and so in the late 90s, early 2000s, the ghost people stole them and <laughs> turned them into spirits. And uh, and then so I talked to camera manufacturers. I talked to professional photographers. I, I went to Kodak, who who made the camera that I had at the time. And I didn't say anything about ghosts. I just said, hey, I took this picture. Tell me what this is. And I got really, really good, thorough explanations, you know, um, that that ca cameras have, you know, between four and seven lenses that are correcting for light. Most of the time it's lens flare. And even if there's not some shiny, sunny object in the, the photo, it can be outside of the field of vision reflecting and refracting off of all those lenses and putting the lens flare, which is just like in your Thresholds Radio logo. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's that kind of effect. They can be big. They can be small. Um, and also, you know, your, your camera's doing its best to fill in all those pixels. And so people find faces, but in reality, you know, sometimes that's just your camera guessing and, and we – it's called pareidolia where we, we make shapes out of trees right. and clouds. Right, or matrixing like, to the same thing. Yeah, right. And so um, I think 99.9999999% of orbs can be dismissed. And the only reason I don't say it's 100% is because um, some people see glowing balls of light with their naked eye. And I've seen a video clip that's that's a long, long video clip. We're talking like five or six seconds, which is uh -huh. an uh, where you see in a, on a closed circuit television in a backyard in uh, Colorado, these two moving balls of light going around, lighting up the trees as they pass by, and 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 you know kind of making their way through this this person's backyard. And I said, okay, if you had a still camera and took a photo of that, 
okay, I'll grant you that's an orb, but it's producing its own light. And exactly. that I've seen like two, three times ever, as opposed to six trillion other photos that I would say are dust, moisture, you know, a, a little piece of dust too close to your camera lens is, is going to turn into this cloudy bubble, um, you know, when, when, you're, when your camera tries to process it, even good ones. So um, if all you have is an orb photo, I would say what else you got? We're on the same page there. I'm exactly 99.92 and same thing. Plus, when you go to these paranormal places, they're usually very, very old buildings, which in turn are filled with dust. Yeah, there's sure. a lot of dust. And I, I did an experiment once where I took a picture in kind of a, a dusty area and uh, when it was raining. And I even took a picture of a light that was on in the distance. And I showed them to a bunch of people and people who were into the paranormal, they all said, wow, oh, my God, you know, there's some demonic energy in here. Or there's all these ghosts and everything. And that's right about the time that I became very skeptical about any pictures that I see. Yeah, no, it, it, but, you know, the other thing, too, is uh, and, um, my friend Patrick Burns does this great experiment. He, he videotapes it and plays it in some of his lectures where he says, OK, watch, we're going to make ghosts. And he grabs a tissue, you know, out of the out of the tissue box. And he rubs, rubs, rubs it together, grabs his camera, clicks a picture, and he goes, look, full of ghosts, you know, uh -huh. and, 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 you know, uh, on demand. Now, here's the other thing I noticed, too, because years ago, people would show me their ghost photos, that, and, and there, there's lots of orbs, and, I, and they would say, well, what do you think this is? And I'd go, oh, look, you know, come on, you're in a dusty old building, it's this, it's that. It's, and then they would look at me just indignantly and say, are you kidding, you insensitive jerk? It's my Uncle Larry. Oh, uh, exactly. Yeah, I, just, I just got that the other day at an it, appearance. It's so, um, and so now whenever anyone shows me any kind of ghostly photo, um, my answer is always the same. What do you think it is? And right. if they say, it's my Uncle Larry, I go, okay, well, that's, that's fine. Um, because who am I to judge a sign? You know, some people find pennies on the ground and swear it's from their grandfather who died years ago and used to always give the kids pennies. Mm -hmm. and, and me, I say, well, people don't bother to bend over to pick up a penny anymore. Although in this economy, maybe they do. Yeah, but, we, we do now. You know, I speak for yourself. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but you know what I mean? So, so, so for them, it's a spiritual sign. And I, and I, you know, I, I've kind of matured over this whole thing over the years. It's the same way I would never look at a, a cross or a star of David or a crescent and, you know, around someone's neck and say, oh, that's the wrong religion. <laughs> yeah. I just, who would I be to say that? And, and so, um, so the orb photos, all I, all I can do is say, Hey, if you think it's something, then, you know, I'm not going to argue with you. However, if that's the only piece of evidence you have, it's, it's really not enough for me. I've had that happen too on the website. People will send me stuff and ask me what my view is. And I'll, I'll point out like the differential ring around the outer edge, which shows that it's actually not, you know, it's an environmental orb and not an energy ghost orb or anything. And, uh, they'll leave the website. They'll quit. Because yeah, I don't give I, them the answer they want. <laughs> yeah, that's that's why I, I don't ever, um, you know, I don't comment on any photos sent to me anymore. Um, just because I don't, if, if I'm not there when the picture's taken, I, I can't pick it apart. Um, if you know, especially if it was taken, you know, thousands of miles away from where I am right now, I can't right. even go there. I can't try to reproduce it. All I can say is that's really interesting. Assuming you're not photoshopping me or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, some of them are really intriguing. Um, but unless I'm there when it was taken and can and can look at it and say, oh, my God, I can promise you that was not there. Um, you know, it, it's just it's inconclusive, which so much of the paranormal is. Well, you have a book coming out in paperback in August called Who's Haunting the White House? The Do President's I? Mansion and Ghosts <laughs> Who Live There. Yes. Uh, according to Amazon.com, it's coming out in paperback. <laughs> 
awesome. In August. <laughs> uh, so, so tell us, who is haunting the White House, and does the Secret Service need to get involved? The Secret Service is involved. That's what's so cool. <laughs> they um, really are? I mean, you're serious? I'm deadly serious. This is an amazing place. Uh, that first... I wrote that book a few years ago um, during the Bush administration. I, I called them up and I said, I want to do a children's book about the ghosts of the White House. And they said, yeah, we're really not interested in that. And I said, no. <laughs> I said, I understand. I said, but I think we can use ghosts as an innovative way to teach history. And they said, go on. <laughs> and I went, oh, yeah, <laughs> I got them now. So with the help from my congressman, believe it or not, um, I, I got in there, I got a tour, I got to interview the chief usher, who's the boss of the building. I mean, this guy has been working in the White House, he was, he retired a couple years ago, uh, since 1967 and served every president since Nixon, and has spent more time in that building than any president, even a two-term president. You know, they take vacations, they travel a lot, this guy's put in more hours than any president. And he's got a story, and he's not the only one. And here's what's wonderful about the, the witnesses at the White House. They're so credible. These guys are drug tested, psychologically screened, background checked eight ways to Sunday because there's about 100 employees who work for that building. And it doesn't matter who's president, Republican, Democrat, it makes no difference. These folks are the, the cleaning crew, the foreman, the, you know, the butlers, etc., that keep that building, museum and home running. And when they say they saw something, that's just a great witness. This guy's former Secret Service. I'm walking around, and, and I talked to a Secret Service agent who's telling me some of the history of the building. And I said, I, you know, I heard it's haunted. He said, yes, sir. Uh, there's a British red coat that's been spotted out near the North Portico. And there's uh, the ghost of Abraham Lincoln that's seen upstairs near the Lincoln bedroom. And I said, you, you, your voice is so matter of fact. I said, is this kind of like federal recognition of ghosts? And he said, sir, I wouldn't know anything about that. <laughs> <laughs> And, and yet, you know, we, uh, I spoke to a foreman who said he was walking down early one morning, turning on the lights, and there's Abraham Lincoln sitting on a chair right outside of the Lincoln bedroom, made eye contact with him, folded his hands, and then disappeared. And he came downstairs and, and told one of the assistant ushers, and they said, you're one of many who have seen it. Uh, Lincoln's ghost comes up again and again and again. And I think there's a number of reasons, and, you know, we can get into theories, whether it's residual, whether it's the living people that hold him there. But Lincoln had the hardest presidency of all of them. There's not even a, a close second. You know, he his son died while he was in the White House. Um, his nation was at war with itself, the Civil War. And, of course, he paid the ultimate price for, you know, for the office. He was assassinated. So no president had it as rough as Lincoln did. And I've heard other presidents quoted saying, you know, they were new in office. And I remember George Bush, the senior, saying, I had to send some troops into harm's way. And I was, you know, really having a lot of anxiety over it. And I thought about Abraham Lincoln and what he went through. And uh, it gave me some peace to know that, you know, he, he made a lot tougher decisions than I had to make right now. And, uh, and, and so you wonder, do these, these presidents kind of hold him there? And so lots of presidents have talked about the ghosts. Harry S. Truman wrote about the ghosts something like six or seven different times in letters to his wife. Those are all public record. Um, it comes up again and again, and this is the White House, man. No door is supposed to open or close without it being, you know, checked in triplicate by lots of, you know, high-ranking people with, you know, top-level clearance, and yet they see these ghosts. They have these experiences, and um, and so I just thought it, it's an amazing building. It was uh, incredible to be there and talk to some of the staff and and see some of the, you know, some of the places where every single president once walked. Um, Except, of course, George Washington, who died before it was finished. But still, he laid the cornerstone. He, he was on the grounds. He approved the, approved the plans for the place. It's just an incredible place and an amazing haunt.
That sounds like a great book. That's what I said. (laughs) (laughs) Well, John, do you have any other paranormal-related questions? Uh, No, I had one question for you, Jeff. It says that you're the most visible paranormal researcher of today. And does that mean that you, like, wear a neon or something? I didn't quite catch yes. that. <laughs> I'm trying not to wear not to wear black so much. Okay. So you blend in with black. Yeah, and, actually, uh, I'm guilty of that. I wear black. Every publicity shot, I'm always wearing black. There you go. See? Start, step it out. Start wearing whites and greens and blues and yellows. Uh, so is there anything else? Hawaiian shirt. Hawaii, there you go. Anything else you wanted to say in closing here, Jeff? No, I just, you know, I'm, I appreciate the discussion. I think that it's important that we talk about all of this stuff because it touches on so many parts of the human experience. You know, we're talking about psychology, sociology, history, uh, spirituality, religion, maybe even physics. Uh, you know, all of these, these subjects collide in this amazing topic of ghosts and, and the paranormal. And to pursue it is to, is to seek out really big answers. And I think that's pretty awesome and noble and uh, and worth doing and so um you know radio shows like yours and and you know michael i know your books and things like that it's it's important that we keep doing this because all of this stuff is a part of who we are a part of our history our culture our religion everything and uh to ignore it is um it would be the biggest tragedy so i'm just i'm grateful that we got to talk about it well thank you jeff you've been well said. so you've been very entertaining too and, and keep us in mind anything comes up or any new information uh, just get a hold of us we'll put you right back on the air again well, I already told you, orbs are demons, and we broke up. <laughs> yeah, and you, and you told everybody about my demons on my logo, too. Darn it, now I have right. to kill you now. <laughs> yeah, or, or you know, exercise them with Photoshop. There you go. <laughs> All right, well, well, thank you for coming on, Jeff. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. All right, that was Jeff Ballinger. We'll be right back listening to Thresholds Radio. I want to welcome you back to the show. How have you been doing? We haven't talked with you. My gosh, I think it's been over nine months. Exactly, yeah, nine months ago. Jeez, time flies. Oh, a lot of things happened, you know. Um, you know uh, working on UFOs, the British Story of the United Part 3, UFOs from Outer Space. And I've had, you know, Dr. Roger Lear slated to narrate the film and, and also be in it, but he got very sick. And, right. And he was really, really ill. Plus, I had a little bout with... Uh, shingles and bell's palsy all sorts of painful things. oh yeah that's right i saw that on facebook you were you were ill for a while there yeah and uh it was all due to anxiety and the stress of losing my mom you know when she passed away and you get sick man you know stress will kill you, you know? oh yes so, uh, <laughs> believe me i'm doing a lot better I'm, I'm doing a lot better i'm still experiencing some pain but um i you know i have some pain pills and things that i take and it just uh it helps a lot, believe me. Yeah. <laughs> I do not want to have this stuff. You do what you got to do. I was on medication for a while, and I'm off of it now, and I am so glad. I, I just hate medication, but sometimes you just got to take it. Yeah, yeah. And there's uh, an epidemic going on out there of shingles all of a sudden, you know, so I don't feel too bad about having it. I thought it was just an illness that happens just to certain people, but no, it's it's a almost pandemic man well you were you just know? trying to be trendy weren't you you wanted to follow the crowd <laughs> <laughs> i was trending <laughs> so you, you sent me that link to uh the promo on your new uh movie and that is absolutely amazing the full color images of the moon that just blew me away yeah that's uh that's gonna be a heck of a film and, and 
I have, you know, luckily I ran across this gentleman. His name is Bill Bryson. And um, he's basically going to be the star astronomer for the film because he's, he's an actual amateur astronomer. And that's what he does. You know, like I make movies and music and stuff like that. And uh, he does astronomy. He's the guy that's in the know. He's into the astronomy bit, you know. And uh, he saw my film Moon Rising a few years back. And in it, I had shown, you know, disclosed some of the full-color photography from the moon. So he decided to check it out as an astronomer, okay? Because up until that time, just like with everyone else, you know, we all believe that the moon is black and white and gray, you know, that it's not a full-color or about there, you know, and uh, we've been totally misled. And what he did is he found a way to check out the moon in full color. He found the right camera. He has a uh, an eight inch, I think, or 12 inch Celestron telescope. And he's got this Logitech camcorder, which is, you know, $90, you know, and uh, it films the moon as it really is in full color. And by him doing this, it's made my job a lot easier because every time I used to do lectures or I present this stuff, I'd have to explain to people, you know, why the moon looks gray from Earth. All right. And it gets to be a pain, you know, because I have to remember all this astronomy, to, uh, you know, language and this kind of thing, explanations. And sometimes I just don't get it all right. Well, here he comes along and he's doing it and he's an astronomer, which is really cool. So, uh, Celestial is going to be one of the neatest films I've ever made. I'm really happy with the way it's coming out. And there are a lot of things that people are going to see on the moon that they've never seen before. And, and all in full color photography, as you said, you know. That's absolutely amazing. I mean, the, the quality and the colors and the depth and everything is just absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's uh, thank gosh that, you know, I ran across this website by accident. You know, the reason I downloaded all this color photography was I was looking for a CGI moon, you know, a 3D moon model that I could put on my 3D program. And uh, I contacted some of the guys that work on Star Trek and Battlestar Galactica, and I asked the special effects guys, I go, hey, where do you guys go to download all these great replicas of Earth, Saturn, and Jupiter, and Mars, and the moon? I need to find me a, uh, a model of the moon that I can manipulate, you know, and I want to zoom from Earth all the way to the surface of the moon. Well, I go to, uh, it's the United States Geological website, mapaplanet.org, and you click on the moon, and then you see five samples, five little photos, and the one in the center says natural color of the moon. And, you know, this was like in February of 2009, and I'd never, I was just like just every, every other person, man, you know, I've always believed the moon is black and white, you know, until I saw this, and boy, when I clicked on that, on that uh, link, my whole perspective of the moon changed, like, immediately. I was as stunned as you are from seeing just the footage that you've seen so far. I mean, that's just the opening right. nine minutes of the movie that I sent you. But I was just totally stunned, man, when I saw this full-color photos, man. And uh, I took it, I started downloading immediately. I started downloading literally about, I'd say about 845 maybe photos that I downloaded in high resolution right there off the USGS website. And I'm glad I did because after Moon Rising came out and I showed the full color photography of the moon, uh, all of a sudden you go to mapaplanet.org right now and you try to download some of the full color shots that I have and they're all washed out. They've already tampered with them. Oh, imagine that. <laughs> yeah, yeah they, they've already uh, 
messed up a lot of the exposure. The uh, uh, the photography just is it's not good at all anymore, and you can't even see the details anymore. But um, we were fortunate, and I say we because when uh, I present this movie, Celestial, July 21st, which is like the 43-year anniversary that man walked on the moon, we're going to show the people what they should have seen years ago, the moon in its true full color. And I have an astronomer on board with me that knows exactly what he's talking about. He's not a, you know, he's an amateur astronomer, don't get me wrong, but he's been doing it for many years, okay? And uh, the only difference between him and any other astronomer is that there's astronomers that work at observatories, at NASA, at universities, and they're part of keeping it uh, out of the public's mind that the moon is a full-color celestial body, our closest neighbor in the whole of the universe, man. Right, and I mean, after looking at your footage that you sent me, uh, night and day difference. I mean, unless you would point it out, you wouldn't even know it was the moon because we're so geared to seeing this black and white and gray thing. Yeah, and one of the reasons they do that is because once you see, and I think I mentioned to you earlier, once you see um, the moon in its full natural color, you start to see depth of perception. You know, you, you're able to see things that are on the surface of the moon that in black and white photos would not be, you would not be able to obtain them, you know? Well, yeah, and, that was uh, the one thing I was asking you off air. Why did they do that? Do you want to go into detail what you told me on the reasoning why, you know, they don't show us in color? Yeah, for, well, in the first place, you will start seeing structures and weird-looking things that are up there, including what appear to be clouds, smoke. Uh, there's a whole area right above uh, Aristarchus. You know that, that uh, crater that towards the end of the clip uh -huh. But I sent you, uh, it's a real beautiful purple-bluish thing. Above that, there appears to be some serious mining going on, all right? They're doing something. There's smoke. There's uh, activity of some kind. And, and you can tell it's an industrial type of project, whatever's being built up there. Wow. But, uh, you can tell. See, and in black and white, that same photo, you would not be able to see anything. It would look just like strange markings on the moon's surface. In full color, it's a total different planetoid basically well even in the black and whites you can see some of those that nasa actually blocks out or alters but they do such a bad job you can actually tell it's been done yeah yeah and um this full color photography like i was mentioning it it brings you to another realization that our moon has the capability of possibly inhabiting life if it hasn't already you know and when you start seeing these structures that are up there um one of the segments that I'm going to include in this film that's also I also added to Moon Rising because I re-edited that film is during the Apollo 16 mission um, the craft went around the dark side of the moon you know the other side of the moon that we don't see right and it went right over a crater called Lobachevsky and um, for whatever reason they photographed it you know they did about five or six different photos during Apollo 16 and that was in April of 1972. Now, eight months later, on our last mission, which was Apollo 17, and it was in December of, of 72, uh, that was the last time we ever went to the moon again, they went by that same crater, Lobachevsky, and lo and behold, man, there's a structure there now that mm. wasn't there eight months earlier, but there's a huge structure there that's 10 miles wide and about eight miles high. Wow. So between April and December of 72, in eight months, something or someone 
that has the technology to build a, uh, a huge structure like this built it. And, I mean, Donald Trump, with all the money in the world that he's got, he could not build anything that's 10 miles wide and six to eight miles high, you know. And, and this object, 22 years later, during the Clementine mission, is, you know, where I downloaded this uh, color photography, 22 years later, that structure is still there. And there's other activity going on there. It appears that there's somebody or something burning through the edge of the crater. There's a whole gateway where there's a, an area where you can traverse. You can go inside the crater. And um, it's just bizarre what's going on on the other side of the moon and the front side. And um, this is just going to be a neat movie. Uh, if anything, you're going to get a lesson in astronomy from Bill. His name is Bill Bryson. Because... As he's been filming the moon in full color, he also takes you on trips. You know, he says, all right, today we're going to visit the Apollo 15 landing spot, you know. And oh, that's cool. Pointed out where they landed uh, on Apollo 17, 16, 11, and all that, which is pretty, you know, in, in itself, it's an educational thing. And while he's doing it with his telescope, I'm going to take you there using the full color photography that was taken by the Clementine mission from about... Uh, 170 miles above the surface and I'll be able to get right in there and as he's describing what you're seeing what he's seeing through the telescope we're catching a bird's eye view and it's just incredible the the, the color it's just it's an, it's amazing the full color photography oh I know it is you sent me that little link there and my gosh I probably watched that 10 times in a row over and over and over and just blowing my mind yeah isn't that amazing gosh man if I would have known this you know when I was younger, man, I would have been totally into astronomy, man. But, you know, I was going, eh, man, it's just a black and white thing, man. And so what? They landed. Big deal. You well, know? it's kind of boring. I had a telescope. You look up there, and it's all gray, and there was not a lot to see. And, uh, I mean, when you look at it like this in this color, it, it's totally different planet. Yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, at one time, there was a, a meeting over at NASA among many scientists and astronomers and things, and they were actually considering calling the moon a planet, a small planet uh, type of object. But they decided against it, you know, for whatever reasons. And uh, But, yeah, you're going to be able to see things on the moon that you've never fathomed existed. And, and these are huge structures. I'm telling you that when you see something like this one crater, too, I forget the name of the crater, but it's over there close to this Aristarchus crater, and it's to the left. There's pipes uh, and, and piping going on from inside the crater to the sides of, you know, the exterior uh, perimeter. And it looks like huge cables and pipes. Wow. It's hard for me to explain, but it's whatever these things are, they're massive, man. And no one else has actually ever showed this type of stuff before, have they? No, I'm the only one in the world that's presenting the moon in full color. NASA should have done this years ago, man. Yeah, you would think so, but then again... Okay. <laughs> One thing I've learned doing this show for a while, uh, we don't get the truth very often. Yeah, I imagine, man. And, and, you know, this has been going on for over 43 years, you know. That's absolutely really amazing. Like I say, when this movie is out, people want to see this, too, because just in the, what was that little 10-minute clip or whatever you sent me, you know, that, I was just blown away by that, and that's just the intro. Yeah, that's just the opening sequences. Yeah, there's a lot of surprises coming in in this movie, man. And uh, I have... Um, Gosh, when you guys see this object that was built in eight months, I mean, that's ridiculous, man. Nobody can do that even here on Earth, you know? Yeah, you got it's just a, 10 miles wide, man, this thing is. And it looks alien. It yeah. looks like one of those uh, um, alien drawings done from 
the movie Aliens. Remember that guy, Geiger? Is that his name? The you gotta se- you gotta send me a freeze frame of this now. I don't want to wait for the movie. I gotta see this thing. <laughs> <laughs> I will. You know, we're gonna take you to the other side of the moon for sure, man. Oh, cool. It's uh, it's gonna be an amazing movie, and I'm urging your listeners out there. All right, I'm making this movie out of pocket. Okay, and it costs me money to license the music. As far as the editing and everything else, I got all that handled. That's what I do. But in order to have the, the, the most beautiful soundtracks that fit with the scenery and everything else, I have to pay for the licenses of each music track, and it's not cheap. And this is, a, uh, this is music that's been produced already by you know, major composers and performers, and uh, some of the music tracks go anywhere from you know, 50 to $100 up to 1000 you know, and that adds up too when you're doing a complete movie. Oh yeah, yeah, it adds up. I, I usually spend about thirty-eight hundred dollars to five thousand on just the music alone. You know, wow. but that does a job, man. And and I need this music because that's the key element that takes you to the moon, that gives you that sense of uh, being at a, a strange new planet. You know, a, a new celestial body that is right there. Has been with us so many years, and I guarantee you, once people see Celestial, that's following same that next day. There's going to be people talking about it because it's going to it's the most phenomenal film that I've ever made so far. I want to make more, but uh, it's it's just because of the content. Oh, exactly. I can't even describe how incredible the full color photography is, and I only downloaded like 840 some uh, photos of 1.8 million digital photographs that were taken of the moon by the Clementine mission back in 1994. So this is not even tipping the iceberg, man. And this is a lot, like I said, a lot of the stuff that they uh, released, it has blurriness to it. I mean, they've messed with it, you know, so you don't get the full picture, but I'm avoiding certain areas of the photos that, you know, are messed with and uh, bringing you some really, really neat photography, man. It's just going to blow people out. So how can people uh, help you out here? I know you said you're you're kind of looking for some help with this movie, weren't you? Like financially, can people donate or give you a hand with the movie somehow? Yeah, what I do is I have a section. Uh, you can go to uh, my my uh, movie website. It's tblnfilms.com. And that's four letters, Tom, Bob, Larry, Nancy, and then films, F-I-L-M-S.com, tblnfilms.com. Go there and then click on the uh, Celestial Moon link. And that'll take you to the pages uh, where you can contribute as a uh, uh, sponsor. You can purchase a movie credit. If you want to be a co-producer on my film, you know, your name will be right there in the opening and closing credits of the movie. Um, If you want to have a special thank you uh, notice for somebody, you know, one of your loved ones or somebody, your girlfriend, uh, $50, man. You put $50 towards it, and I'll put your name right there, you know. No, that's cool. That's a great opportunity. How often do you get a major movie? You'll give you an option to, you know, donate and put get your name right in it. Yeah, and uh, there's also some incentives that I'm giving away, you know, baseball hats and things like that to everyone that contributes in the, in the you know, in the uh, higher areas. I mean, if you uh, if you buy a special thank you credit, that's what you're going to put, you know, special thanks to so-and-so. But uh, some of the people that contribute are getting DVDs of the film, which I'm not going to release this movie on DVD uh, anytime soon. This is just going to be available just that one night all over the world on, on as many websites that want to join in. As a matter of fact, that's another thing, too. If you have a YouTube channel mm-hmm. or a website and you want to present the movie live that night, 
uh, you can sign up as an exhibitor. And it costs nothing to sign up. You can sign up as a viewer. You know, you'll get notified where to watch the movie at, what the web page is going to be. And um, it's going to be a monumental film, man. It's, it's, it's going to bring us to the moon the way we should have been there, you know. Exactly. It's just going to be an amazing thing. So I'd appreciate anybody that will help out and pitch in. And that's all our listeners out there. If you're, if you, any of you have any money, which most of us don't, but if you do, <laughs> here, here's a good way to spend it and get some credit for it. Do a good thing, actually. You'll help make this movie. Well, yeah. Plus, you know, we are presenting the moon for the first time in our history as the way it should have been a long time ago. If we would have known that the moon is still colored. By the way, there's mountains made of solid gold up there. Oh, solid gold? I'm serious. I've, I've showed these photographs. Oh, my gosh. Do <laughs> panning for gold and stuff like that. And this one lady out of uh, Nevada, she goes, yeah, they look like gold mountains. You know, she said, boy, I'd love to go there and just, uh, you know, <laughs> sandblast or blast away, you know, portion of that mountain. But, you know, you can tell. And this is why it's amazing about full color. The full color photography, you see stuff like this. If you see a black and white photo of the same mountains, you're not going to catch it that it's solid gold wow. or made out of that texture, you know. There's a reason to get get yourself an independent spaceship and go to the moon. <laughs> it's, yeah, well, see, check we're we are brought up saying it's uh, cheese. <laughs> Boy, were they lying to us? <laughs> check this out. There's an, a, a golden archway there. It's McDonald's crazy. is on the moon already. <laughs> golden arch, golden arch, man, and it's made out of gold. It appears to be solid gold, man. Wow, that's whoever unbelievable. Whoever built that, you know, built it out of gold. By the way, um, I have with me. Uh, friend of mine that I've known for many, many moons, man, <laughs> speaking of many moons, uh, ever since I, 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 I was on the scene with the UFOs, filming UFOs over Roswell and Midway, mm -hmm. I was on hard copy back in the early days. Uh, this man has been with me, man. He's been my friend. He's like a son to me, and I'll call him my son. His name is Jeff Ferris, and he's a pro-impact pro sports guy. You know, he's one of the original uh, skateboarders out there in the world. And, um, I'm going to throw him to you for a minute because okay. I've got to... Yeah, hey, welcome to the show, Jeff. You're, uh, you're, any friend of his is a friend of our shows. All right, yeah. Hey, John, thanks, man. <laughs> you were involved in the, the rods, too, right? Is that what uh, he was telling me yeah. off air? That's basically how, um, how I first met Jose. I mean, since I was a little kid, you know, I'd always been interested in, you know, UFOs in particular. And, uh, you know, I lived in Arizona at the time, and there was a convention coming to town. And I'd never been to a UFO convention, so I thought, you know, it would be kind of a, a fun new experience. So I went, and of course, they've got kind of a, a program with a list of the presenters and everything that's, that's going on. And, you know, with my interest in UFOs in particular, um, also just people that claim that they've got, you know, video footage. Um, so, yeah, I looked, and I, you know, I see Jose Escamilla, and he was... Uh, going to be doing a lecture on the Midway sightings, which, you know, Midway is kind of where it all started for, uh, for him. Um, it's nine miles southeast of Roswell, New Mexico. And so, you know, he was claiming that he had all this, you know, broad daylight video footage. And so, you know, out of the, the list of people to pick to spend my hard-earned, you know, $30 on, uh, uh, for a lecture, I chose Jose. And uh, lo and behold, I go in there and basically... I'm the only one. You know, the only one in there? It came, yeah. There was um, one other guy that showed up kind of late, and then, you know, he, I think he actually ended up leaving relatively early. But, you know, this was an opportunity for, for him and I to just sit down, you know, like buddies one-on-one, -on -one, and he just, you know, 
scrolled through all of his, his, his UFO footage. And, you know, he's showing kind of, I don't want to say typical UFO shots, but, you know, the little uh, kind of white dots and little metallic silver discs, you know, in broad daylight, which, you know, that alone I thought was, was pretty interesting. And then suddenly he shows me this footage with, with these things just, pew, pew, you know, zipping across the screen. And I'm like, what, like, what is that? Right. Like, Those are rods. And I'm like, okay, rods, you know, what the heck is a rod? And, you know, that was actually just a, a term that they sort of coined for it because, you know, they didn't know really what to call them. Um, and I guess uh, a friend of his, you know, had some experience in healthcare and in nursing. And when they looked through the microscope, um, they'd see these little things that were shaped and they, you know, refer to them as rods. And so that's kind of how the, you know, the term got coined. Um, so that, you know, really piqued my interest because that's something uh, I had never heard of or seen ever before, you know, and, uh, you know, the UFO stuff was, was mind blowing enough to see that footage. And now, you know, suddenly here's this whole new phenomenon and that was sort of the birth of rods, you know, and, um, and the first time that, you know, I think as a researcher and even just as a regular person out there, um, it's, it's way more easier to believe, you know, something cause this, you know, they appear to be alive, like, like, exactly snakes or you know whatever and i think that's way more believable to someone you know saying oh this is not you know an alien spaceship this is possibly just an unknown life form that you know has has been around or could have been around uh you know for all of our existence and we just never happened to notice them before you know that's what i always kind of say about the rods is we didn't uh uh you know we just we happen to be the first people that noticed them you know as far as we didn't really discover them uh and so, yeah, I mean, that uh, we, we kept in touch, you know, after the, um, the convention and we started talking about, you know, well, hey, maybe these things are, you know, because at, at that point it was uh, in, in Roswell or Midway specifically where these sightings were going on. And we're just thinking, well, maybe, you know, maybe the rods uh, are, are could be seen in other areas, you know, yeah. so did kind of like a little experiment where I set up my camera where I lived in, in Arizona at the time and, you know, got some some tips from Jose. At that point, we didn't really have what we call the sky fishing protocol. Right. Things that we kind of learned about how to set your camera up and the settings and things like that. Uh, but, you know, I just uh, I just set the camera up, let it run for a few hours at a time. He and caught one of the biggest rods there in Tempe, Arizona. It's a famous shot, too. Really? Yeah. I think that was the one that, that appears to go behind this uh, telephone pole, which was kind of making the size of a whale. So Yeah, it was a massive shot, man, and I'll never forget that one. I go, I, I was on the Danny Bonaducci show, okay, presenting okay. rods. Right, yeah, good old Danny. <laughs> Danny Bonaducci is a character, man, but yeah. at the time, he had a serious-type talk show, even though he had... Danny oh, did? <laughs> He had me on with UFOs and stuff. Yeah. Uh, had to be serious. Huh? Yeah, but he was uh, he, he was pretty funny. But I showed them Jeff's uh, shot, and the whole audience goes, the whole audience goes, whoa! You know, you could tell you had some of the uh, some of these tokers out there, <laughs> but they go, whoa! You know, and uh, but that was one of my favorite shots too. And this thing was trucking, man. We're okay. And they make the right angle turns. They do stuff that you would not think possible. Well, imagine, imagine seeing a whale in the sky. That's how big this thing was, you know. Well, yeah, and I didn't, you know, I didn't even notice. Well, I didn't, I didn't uh, watch it in real time, you know. I just did the typical leave the camera, let it run. And exactly. Then, you know, I'd have my some of my friends at the time, uh, you know, I was telling them about it, and they were really interested in it. So here we are kind of like sitting around the TV, watching the video footage in real time for hours at a time, 
you know, staring at the screen. And that was actually entertainment uh, back then. You know? But <laughs> I started seeing these things, or at least what I thought were really similar to what Jose had captured, you know, and I wasn't really sure. So I, I sent off the, the tapes to Jose. And, you know, I don't know, maybe a week or two later, we, we talked and he's like, you've got rods. I know. <laughs> So I, maybe I should see the doctor. I've got rods. What do you mean? <laughs> you know? But, you know, he, he was able to pop it into his computer, you know, with the technology that he had at the time um, and kind of dissect the videos a little bit more. And, yeah, kind of found out that, well, hey, maybe maybe this is a phenomenon that can be captured anywhere, anywhere. In, yeah. in, you know, not only the United States, but the world. Well, I well, captured him here. I'm in Illinois and I captured him here. That's, that's how I found out about Jose years ago before I did this because I found the his uh, Roswell Rod site because I I sell yeah. and install surveillance systems and I have infrared cameras and I started catching these at my own house and yeah. so that's how I know about them too so I mean I know these things are real yeah yeah and and so you know that really kind of uh, drove me to just become a full time you know sky watcher and and you know specifically focusing some of my research now on rods and he actually and, came out. Uh, uh, it was in the December, wasn't it? It was a yes. winter. It my, was a well, winter my month. footage, my footage, you're right, was in December of 1994. Yeah. So, so he came out in December, went to Roswell, and, and uh, he came out to the place we have over there. We call it the farm, but it's oh, a, that's right, right because Jose had said, you know, it is another thing that piqued my interest at his um, at his lecture. You know, he invited anyone to come on up. You know, if you don't believe him, well, hey, come on up, bring some lawn chairs, sit down. You know, and and you can see him with me and yeah. so uh, of course i took him up on that and yeah i drove up to uh to uh, roswell or midway new mexico yeah and we were we were standing there uh, we're looking at the power lines because they were they were moving like uh, this. vibrating or vibrating something, or something a strange, weird yeah. huh. Pretty strange. A strange activity happening there but as we're looking at you know at the power lines he and i kind of glanced at each other for an instant and this rod flew right in between us yeah, we were standing facing each other, yeah. you know, and I actually had my camera on. It was just in my hand kind of facing you know, down. Yeah, right. Holding down. And we're just talking. And then <laughs> right in front of us, we both kind of had that little look, you know, we're like, did, did you see that? <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, and unfortunately, you know, right. We didn't get the camera, but I, I know I've got the tapes somewhere where at least, you know, you can see like the dirt on the ground and hear our audio of us probably going, did you see that? What was that? Yeah. What the heck was that? Uh, yeah. And it was big. It was a pretty good size one. So, yeah, and at that point, boy, I mean, uh, during those days, I mean, Jose even invited, you know, the local uh, news media came out and set their cameras up and also captured, you know, the same exact type thing. So, right. you know, it's like, all right, well, this could be a real thing. And like I was saying earlier, to the common person, it's, it's way more believable to say, look, okay, this is not an alien spaceship from another planet, whatever. This could just be an undiscovered life form that's been around here and... Uh, you know, just we just didn't happen to notice it. That's exactly uh, what I say, because I know they're there, but I, I've stressed, I've talked about it on the show before. I'm not saying they're aliens. I'm not saying they're anything like that. I just think they're a life form we just never saw before. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, um, we did the research. I mean, even started finding references back from the 1800s of, you know, I think it was what, Crawfordsville, Indiana, they were talking about this, you know, serpent in the sky it's a sky monster they call um, it sky monster yeah yeah and you know and and also looking at some of you know some of the older you know 
cave drawings or, or you know, artwork that dates mm -hmm. back hundreds of years ago where you can see UFO-shaped type things in the background. Well, we've also found things with rod-shaped things kind of drawn. So that's like, huh, you know, these could possibly have just been around forever. And uh, they're so fast, know. people, and you just don't see them. Those things just fly. <laughs> Exactly. That's another thing. It's it's like, you know, if catch something out of the corner of your eye and, or, you know, you just think, oh, it's a bug or, you know, whatever. Just maybe even my, my eyes playing tricks on me. But, you know, if you really just start looking, I think that's with, with UFOs in general. You know, most people aren't looking at the sky. They're driving, looking straight ahead. They're looking down at the sidewalk and they're walking. You got to just start looking up. Exactly. And, you know, you're bound to see something at some point well it's easier than you think because one time i actually i i say i sell and install infrared cameras and remote control camera systems and i was on the phone talking with a friend and we mentioned uh he was talking about there's ufos everywhere so this is a remote control camera from in the house i click a button i make it aim right up in the air within one minute two ufos flew right by and i got them on video wow. it's like holy crap what are the odds of that <laughs> There you go. Yeah, yeah, and we, you know, back in the '90s, and we even uh, in Arizona, we had we had like a Skywatch group where we, uh, you know, got, just got together regularly every, uh, you know, uh, maybe Saturday or Friday and Saturday, but at least one of the weekend nights. And there was one time that the Fox Network came out to interview. Yes, you, remember? That, that's what I was going to get to. Is yeah. um, you know, I've been I'd done some of the shows with Jose, um, and I started to have I had a couple of you know regular UFO sightings that I captured on video. Again, broad daylight. One was in um, Santa Fe, New Mexico. One was in Blythe, California. Wow. And then, um, so I'm at home in Phoenix, and I have a friend of mine that calls me, and he knows that I'm, you know, who's kind of into the whole uh, UFO research and stuff. And he's like, hey, you know, I've been, I've been seeing this stuff uh, every day from my yard. Uh, these little, you know, white things cruising around way up in the sky. And you know, you know about that stuff. Can, can you come over? So, you know, I jumped at the chance. I went over there with my camera. And uh, sure enough, I started seeing the same exact things. Now, they just looked like, you know, maybe disc shape, but more of like a very reflective type thing that were just hovering around way up there. And so I'm, you know, laying on my back, zooming in, trying to get the, you know, the best angles that I could. And I ended up calling up the Skywatch group that I worked with. A researcher at the time named Tom King, who was very involved in the famous Phoenix Lights sightings. Right. Um, he had one of the main videos that kind of made its round uh, forever. And so, uh, you know, it clicked on me. I'm like, all right, you know, broad daylight, uh, lots of witnesses. So I called up our local Fox News channel at the time. I said, hey, you know, I'm capturing UFOs in broad daylight you know, right, right now. now. <laughs> do, you, do you want to come out here with your cameras? <laughs> so they come out they capture the same object with their uh, TV cameras and broadcast it live on the 6 o'clock news. Now, oh, as far really? as I know, I think that was the first time UFOs have ever been shown live as it happened on, uh, you know, local news. Did and they do this seriously or they do that normal laughing like the news tends to do if it's a UFO no, picture? Yeah, they, they, took it, they took it pretty serious because, I mean, again, you know, any, even something like that. I mean, I can throw, a, you know, a rock up, and, and if you didn't know it was a rock, it, then it's unidentified. Right. So, never, you know, always I try and keep it to where I'm not saying this is an alien spaceship, but it's definitely something un, unidentified that's flying in the skies. And so, you know, they, they did good. And plus, you know, the news would jump all over a story like this. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know if, there, if that has happened uh, prior to me or, or since then, but I thought that was kind of cool that, 
you know, this was a live sighting going on uh, on the news as it happened. Did you actually see these, you know, with your eyes or was just through the camera you saw them? hundred percent. Yeah. Um, saw them with the eyes. And then that's when, you know, I mean, I had the best camera that, that, that I could get at that time back in the nineties and, you know, uh, zoomed in and I, you know, I still have, I don't think any of that footage ever made it on any of the, um, the shows that we did because a lot of them were, you know, more geared around just the rods phenomenon. Right. But yeah, I still have all the original, you know, old school eight millimeter tapes of, of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah, at some point we'll have to bust those out and and uh, and get them get them seen by people. I also remember at the time some of the Skywatchers um, had a scanner and they were Sky Harbor Airport, which is the airport in Phoenix. They picked up the channel and they heard them talking about an unknown at thirty thousand feet, and. I had gotten that just the audio of the scanner with you know with my videos. So it's been years since I've pulled out any of those tapes to look at them. But um, and boy, we have I, I have a library of videotapes from all over the world, John. I, I mean, uh-huh. I, I have it in storage, and that's all VHS tapes, yeah, high eight tapes, eight millimeter tapes, like you saying, even these old VHS C tapes. Do you guys remember those? Wow. You know, this is like talking Betamax, man, back yeah. in the... You know. That's the bad thing, is the technology back then, everything was videotapes. And so I, myself, I've got, you know, those plastic storage containers. I've got yeah. six or seven of those just filled with videotapes. Because when I, you know, started appearing with Jose, um, you know, I had lots of people just kind of contact me. Because, you know, and it's still, like they, they get stuff on video or they see something and they don't know what to do with it. They, they don't want people to think they're crazy. So they see guys like uh, Jose and myself and they figure, oh, I can send them to them. So I, I've got a collection of, of videos that probably never made it to any show or got yeah. much research out beyond us sitting around looking at it ourselves. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think there's a whole movie right there. Just like, you yep. know, you have I've actually got. Hours and hours and hours of those, too. I was telling Jose off air for rods because I used to have the camera set up at my home 24-7. And yep. I actually got so many of them, believe it or not, that after a while I just quit saving them because <laughs> I, I was bored with it. I was, it was something I was seeing every day. But I've never seen them. I only see them under infrared. I've never seen them with my eyes. I literally will see them outside where my camera's aimed. I'll go outside and look. I don't see nothing. I come back in, and I can see them on the camera. But I've never seen them with my eyes. Well, that's a whole, almost a whole category of UFOs in general. The invisible. infrared stuff, right? They're More invisible. of the invisible oh, stuff. By the mm-hmm. way, John, I just sent you a link, and your listeners can go to YouTube right now and type in the number 25 and then the plus sign, and then rods flying in formation. 25 plus rods flying in formation. Cool. Now, this was taken with an IR camera, security camera, just like you were talking about installing. Uh-huh. installing. Check it out. It's yeah. going to freak you out, man. you got to see this video. We, you know what's good about those, actually, is most of these high-end ones like I do are watermarked, and you can't tamper with them or screw with them. So they're really legitimate if you get something on one of those cameras. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I just saw this today, and... Um, it's just a yeah. mind blower. Take a look at it. I'll look... Uh, well, when we're off air, I'll look, because if I click it on now, audio is going to blast over, and that's really bad yeah, radio. No, no, that's fine. <laughs> but uh, uh, it, it's an amazing piece of footage, and... You can see stars, okay? So the way Curtis was talking about it, about this clip is that we can go, uh, I think there's an astronomy website. We're going to ask Bill Bryson, but you can type in where these stars are located and find out exactly what area of the sky you were shooting when uh, captured this shot. Uh, is this something you just found, or is this something on, that uh, was on YouTube, or is was, it something from you? 
well, no, this was on YouTube for I think about six months. But the people that shot it, mm -hmm. okay, this is a security cam, all right. So this is a high-end type right. AR system, and uh, they didn't want to lose their jobs, and so they just took it out of there and said, "Look, here, you guys own it. Don't even mention our names." Mm -hmm. It was shot over Seattle, and um, it's some it's some security company, man. And so it's just the, one of the most incredible rod shots. Well, I've it's seen. got as of now, it's got thirty eight views. So that's it. Well, after this airs Sunday night, I bet the views go up. There you go. Yeah. Well, this is a uh, uh, my my friend's uh, uh, YouTube channel. Uh, it's called the Infrared um, Alliance. In infrared Sky, Sky Alliance. Alliance. Sorry. Yeah. You know what's we good about these type of cameras, too, is uh, like the ones I have. His might be, too. Mine are 480 frames per second. Wow. Which is wow. really, you know, that blows fast. away video cameras. Yeah, that's fast. Well, that's when I, I heard all that crap they were, you know, hitting you about saying that rods are just nothing more than regular bugs and you're not seeing them right and everything. Well, being in surveillance and video and I do analysis, I've actually worked with police departments I go through, and I, I mean, I know what a firefly looks like. I know what a bug looks like. I know what a bee looks like. These exactly. are not bugs or bees. No. <laughs> and plus, when you're shooting at that kind of frame rate, it eliminates insects. Because what it does is you're shooting at a higher frame rate. And when you slow it down to our reality, which is 30 frames per second, what you're seeing is what's there. You know. You know what I've noticed, too? Maybe you have, too. I don't think I've ever asked you that. Do these just, I've seen these things just appear. I mean, it's not as if they come in from left or come in from right. All of a sudden, they're there. They shoot around, and they, like, disappear like they're, I don't know, interdimensional? I don't know. It's just, I can't figure that out. At Midway, we had white rods that looked like ribbons. Uh-huh. Like ribbon. And those would phase in and out of reality. I mean, it, we had the camera set up in the sky, and there's this one perfect shot of a sky fish. Let me see if I can find it here. Um... White ones, the, a, the white a, ones are—they're are the, the ones that are amazing. Pretty special. Yeah. Those are the ones I've seen, and these things just appear in frame. And I can say 480 frame a second. All of a sudden, it's in the middle of a frame. It shoots all over, and it's gone. Yeah, yeah. yeah some of these original, the midway ones, I haven't seen a whole lot that can match these because, I mean, talk about uh, behavior referred to like as a flying or as a living thing. These things definitely uh, are behaving like like they're alive, and yeah. I've never seen a rod. You know, usually you see them left to right, just scooting across the screen. This thing, you know, comes down, stops, goes to the left, goes to the right. Right. You know. That's yeah, what I've that's got in video too, where they're just doing the weirdest yeah. things. They're shooting, and they make a right angle, and then shoot left, shoot right, and yeah. they're gone. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So that, that's pretty good evidence. It's hard to to deny that. Okay, whatever that is, it's definitely something intelligent it something exhibits, alive, yeah it exhibits know. like it's a, a living entity of some kind a living thing yeah and then plus we have them in outer space we have shuttle footage of these things coming in and out of earth right, right? yeah i first got some some early <laughs> tapes of of some of the nasa things and was showing that to jose and that's when we we're like wait a minute these kind of look like rods now that could be the only similarity they just happen to look like them but you know everything from from up in space to coming in out of the ocean we even have a shot. I have about five shots of uh, rod objects shot on Mars. Wow. Okay. By one of the rovers, man. They, they actually shot these rods, man. So rod objects. So we're rod objects, yeah. yeah. We don't thing, know if it's but, the same one. But, you know, who knows? I mean. You know, as in heaven, on, on Earth as it is in heaven is the way they say. There so you, go. you um, never know. Well, these rods could be some sort of life form that is just everywhere. And we just now we're starting to discover them. 
Exactly. I mean, yeah. think of all, all the, the, the fish in the ocean that we haven't identified, all the plants and things in the rainforest. It's way more believable that, all right, this is just something living amongst us. That, uh, and there's probably tons of other things that we have yet to identify. And I don't know if that we've even really identified rods other than we know that they exist, but we don't really know what they are yet. So, yeah, and it's an amazing phenomenon. And it's been, what, since 1994 is when I first met Jose, and that's about the first time uh, he started capturing these rods. So however many years later we are, and we've gained a lot, you know, progressed quite a bit, but they're still unknowns. Plus, you know, what's great is we have people out there that are filming for rods. I'm not doing it anymore. I haven't done it in years, mm -hmm. 18 years ago, all right? But uh, I haven't done that in a long time. Specifically because I've been busy making movies, okay? I've, I've started getting back into editing and making films and things. But um, I am going to do Roswell Raj, the Jose Escamilla story. It's going to be a one-and-a-half-hour uh, documentary. That'll be good. Final, final installment on the Raj phenomenon. Yeah, I mean, it's been long enough now in between uh, some of the other videos that came out on Raj that, uh, you know, and like Jose was saying, is I don't... As well, I don't really do a whole lot of sky watching because we've passed the torch. There's, you know, yeah. I mean, sitting around staring at your TV for hours on end was fun back in the 90s, but uh, <laughs> we don't do that. Know, anymore. But now, yeah, I mean, it's opened up to where there's, you know, so many other people now that are track with, with, you know, with our thinking, and so plus they do the work. Plus, we also have uh, filmmakers out there that are filming rods using 24p cameras, which means. Uh -huh. It's not interlaced video that the debunkers tried to use explaining away the rods. Well, it's just, right. you know, fields. No, 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 no. 24P is 24P, pal. Exactly. Uh, they're filming these shots. I'm getting, I mean, I've gotten a lot of footage from filmmakers saying, Jose, check this out. This is HD, 24P, you know, shot over, um, I think there was one uh, in Brazil. One, uh, they were making a film, and they shot it near the ocean. And this thing was huge, man. It just flies in and out, man. Last about four or five frames. But it's a beautiful rod shot, typical rod shot. Um, and then, like I said, there's people out there, uh, like, for example, Tiger Woods. Check this out. In August of 2006, oh. August 2006, during the, uh, one of the golf tournaments, I started getting emails and phone calls from people all over the country saying there's rods on, on golf with Tiger Woods. Yeah, I actually saw that. There was a clip on TV or something. I don't know if that was from one of your sites or what. Yeah, there was. Well, a, and think of the, the the camera settings they would need to use. That was so the five thousand five thousand frames per second. Yeah, so the golf ball isn't all blurry. It it looks like a golf ball if you frame by frame it. And you know that's stuff that we learned way back on. Sure, if you're using the wrong settings, you know there's some things that can be misidentified that look like rods. But we actually in a video we we explained we that and showed that. you what a bug looks like and what. So. Right. And and you know Monster Quest did a whole thing on rods. That was they, the one that where they kind of said you were an idiot, wasn't it? Yeah, they totally debunked it. And here's what Pretty they bad. did. Here's what they did. Um, they knew. And they lied to the American people and the audience, you know, and their sponsors should be ashamed for allowing that kind of programming to be done. But that's what they do. They, they blatantly lie to people because they know that people are very naive. They don't have any idea about how a camera, film camera works or, or a regular camcorder. When they did that test, shooting the rods at night, mm -hmm. they did that with intent to defraud people because they knew at the high-speed camera, as you well know, 400 frames per second, right. that film a moth as it is at night. 
but the camcorder, because you have to lower the shutter setting to the lowest possible mm -hmm. setting, uh, it's going to become a blur. And absolutely, they were shaking the leaves over there and getting moths to come out. But if they would have had any integrity, those producers, and I know their names, and if they would have had any integrity, man, as filmmakers and, and you know, documenters, they would have done the same test in broad daylight. Exactly. Okay. Were they using that, IR lights too? Because I know that'll make everything look like some sort of monster. Yeah, possibly. But what they did is they deliberately lied to the people, you know, and, and what it does is it only confuses the matter, okay? Because <laughs> people say, oh, man, Escamillas, Roger, nothing but insects. They've proven it. They didn't prove jack, Well, and, and if they did the research correctly, they, they would have seen that, what, maybe 10 years prior to theirs, we already did the same thing they we did. We did the camera test. You know, and, yeah. and exactly. Insects can be misfilmed to look yeah. like rod-like objects. That's why we developed the sky fishing protocol. And exactly, there was that's it. it. The well, I remember when that monster quest thing went out. I was getting uh, all kinds of flack from my friends because I was big into them at that time too. And they're like, "See, it's that." I'm like, "No, it's not." I go, "That's right. not right." So I kind of went through the same thing, but not nearly as bad as you did. <laughs> well, you know, here's the thing, though. I've got them, man. When I come out with Roswell rods, and I'm gonna put it on a man. You know, they're going to have to give me in writing an apology for lying to people. And I'm going to hit the sponsors. I'm going to hit the History Channel. I'm going to hit the production company. I'm going to say, you guys lied to the American public. You need to retract all the crap that you did. All right? Do the high-speed camera uh, test in broad daylight now. You should have done that then. And here's another thing, too. They promised they were going to show the space footage that I have, mm -hmm. the footage of rods coming out of the ocean, going into the ocean. And the way they did it was this way. The narrator, okay, they're showing now. Here's what seemed to be rods coming in from uh, space. The narrator would just say, probably debris. And that was all that was shown. Okay. They showed uh, rods coming out of the ocean. The narrator, probably an insect. They would not go into the details. Okay. Knowing that, it would destroy their insect theory. And when they did that test at night, that was just a hands down, blatant lie. And they deliberately did it, and uh, these people have no class, they have no integrity, but I've got the numbers, chumps, man. I'm coming to get you. you <laughs> we've got the footage, and we now have footage that's just going to blow this thing right out of proportion, man. Just like Celestial. Celestial's going to break ground in, in the world of astronomy. We're going to have brand new astronomers taking interest on the moon, shooting the moon in full color. Are you kidding me? What a brand new thing to be able to do. Exactly. You know? See the moon in full color for the first time in your lifetime. And we're going to have sets of brand new astronomers out there going for this. And uh, that's what Celestial is going to do. And that's what Roswell Rods, the film, is going to do. It's going to bring it down. And we're going to demonstrate exactly what Monster Quest did and why they did it that way. Because they wanted to make, you know, uh, keep people in the dark. In the yeah, dark yeah. they just wanted some kind of resolution. And they figured that was the easiest way. But like, you know, like I was saying, if they'd actually done the research, they weren't telling us anything new. Uh, we know that, you know, that can be misfilmed. Yeah. But yeah, there's the new the new and final Rods uh, movie is going to be 25 years of research and of what we've learned. Nailing it. And I've, right. I, like I say, I have footage. We're done after this one. Yeah, that's you know. it. No more Rods or Rods. I mean, we're passing the torch because you know what? There's all new generations out there that will be able to take this research now and take it to the next level, you know. There's a lot of smart people out there that can take the rods phenomenon and probably find a specimen eventually. I've always believed there's probably a rod somewhere in some marine laboratory because they do have a life cycle in the oceans. 
there's probably is an unknown jelly plankton in a freaking jar, mm. you know, and they just don't know what it is. But well, and who and what you know, uh, who wouldn't want to have their name attached to the discovery of a new life form? Exactly, you know? no doubt yeah. about it. Yeah. So uh, that's the next level, man. So I have four movies to do: UFO, The Great Story Denied, Part Three, UFO, Smarter Space, which shows you UFOs only shot in from outer space by NASA. Nothing shot from Earth. This is all stuff that's being shot by the Hubble and other telescopes that are out there. The stuff that's uh, surrounding the sun. You've you mentioned that earlier, you know. Um, oh yeah, that that one about uh, taking there. One came, during a solar flare or something, wasn't it? Wasn't there a cloaked ship or something? They said that was, that was just one near the planet Mercury. I'm talking about a huge object that's near the sun right now. It's still there. Oh, that one huge. that's still there, then, huh? Yeah, it's still there, and it's uh, one of the orbiting UFOs that have been showing up for the last three years. You know, so I'm doing that. I'm going to finish doing the Battle of Los Angeles documentary. I can't afford to get 12 million together to. <laughs> to feature film. So I'm just going to do the, the documentary just to keep the record straight because they are coming out again with part two of that film that they did. They spent $70 million on. It's called oh, Battle. Battle with, but that really Battle didn't Los have Angeles. anything to do with the actual... It was just more of the, the title was similar to... Yeah. It didn't really have anything to do with the actual event. No, but it confused the title yeah, and people was... think that the Battle of Los Angeles is not real because of that. So yeah. I'm going to do that film. Battle LA. That's what it was yeah, called. Yeah, Battle Colon LA. Yeah, so I'm doing that and uh, of course doing Celestial and then Roswell Rods, man. And that's going to be uh, after that, I want to do what I was doing before the UFO stepped into my, my life and changed my life. I'm going to make feature films, man. We have a dinosaur movie to make. We have uh, a couple of comedies, you know. And, you, know just, uh, you got a lot on your plate there, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to. Uh, Live it to the extent, man. You're Always not... does. For anyone, you know, that that just knows Jose from the internet and think he's just faking stuff or just always out to get money, blah, 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 whatever. We've adopted each other as father and son now for, for many years. And I'll tell you, he's one of the most hardworking, persistent individuals I've ever met, you know. It has nothing to do with money. It has to do with intelligence, you know, finding, seeing these things and wanting... Well, if this is real, let's let's propose it to the people. Everyone should have the right to see this or the right to know the truth. And that's really what, what this guy is behind. It, it has nothing to do with, you know, trying to make millions because I guarantee you that it has <laughs> never even come close. Not going to happen. Oh, I agree, too, because uh, him and I talk off air a lot more than we talk on air. And he's just a nice, normal, down-to-earth person. He's 100% legit. <laughs> And, and the you know some of the things I've read on forums and on the internet, it's like they really have no idea uh, who he is or what he's about. Um, but it's only what they read and see online, and I just think it's a shame um, because you know, yeah, <laughs> like you said, he's just a normal person like us and just stumbled upon this and you know has been using his skills and his intelligence to go after the truth behind you know one of the uh, oldest uh, mysteries. Out there. And he enjoys no. his subject. I say him and I will talk an hour before we do our interview, just discussing yeah, stuff yeah. before we even go on the air. <laughs> Absolutely. I know I've mentioned a couple of times here that, you know, we talked earlier, but your audience didn't hear us talking. But, uh, yeah. Right. Well, most of that they could have heard. Some of it they shouldn't, but most of it they could have heard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I always say my off-air talk with my guest would be such an interesting show someday. <laughs> <laughs> you can bet on that one. Sure, <laughs> so what else is going on? Anything else you got? That's it. You know, we're going to watch. Uh, try to watch the fights tonight. You know, the UFC. Right, strike Force. Force. Yeah. Showtime. Pretty cool stuff. And uh, yeah. there's a website out there that we always check out after hours and all the fights are there. Okay, sounds good then. Well, uh, you want to give your website any more information here in closing then? Yeah, yeah, let me do that. Uh, that's tblnfilms.com. Click on the Celestial Moon uh, banner. And, uh, hey, send me $50. Make me holla. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you a special thanks credit, man. Send them, a, send them a few thousand. Screw that 50 bucks. Give them some money. <laughs> I don't, and don't read into that for the listeners. Don't read into it that way. As, as jokingly as he's saying that. Yeah. Really, the, the money is just because he puts every dime that he doesn't even have to try and get this out. And this is basically any money that's donated is helping this information to present it to a larger audience. Exactly. He's just a normal guy, working guy, and this money actually is going to get the movie out. It's what it is. He's not doing this yep. for profit. He's doing it so he can afford to do it. There you go. I'm that's, putting it out there for free for everybody to see this. you got to see the moon in full color. Oh, yeah. I, I, I can't say enough about that. That thing you sent me is just truly amazing. Yeah, it's. Uh, I definitely watched that uh, that Rod video that he sent you with the twenty five, and uh, <laughs> I'd like to wild. hear your reaction off air. Oh yeah, yeah, John, check this out. I'll be doing that as soon as we uh, we get, we get off air here. It's an IR camera, like the kinds that you've worked with. So, uh, you know, and I think the guy put the name, make, and model that and, kind well, there, of thing. And there is some kind of code at the bottom of the video too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, like I said, that stuff's cool because it's watermarked. Which I mean, if you're in yeah. filmmaking, you know what I mean. You can't fake that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Okay, well, it's been great talking to both of you, and uh, we'll be right back after this break. That was Jose Escamilla, and you're listening to Thresholds Radio. We'll be right back. We hope you enjoyed the show tonight. We'll be back with a brand new show next week on thresholds-radio.com. See you then.